0: You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast North of Zero by Slippin Mickey's on A Three. Chapter Nineteen The Town. It was the first truly warm day they'd experienced in months, and Mulder remembered briefly why he'd preferred the cold. The sun was baking the back of his neck, sweat running in little rivulets down his spine, and the insects, god they were unrelenting, midges buzzing into ears and flying up noses and being a constant bane to the horses, whose skin shuddered under their saddles, the poor beasts lashing their tails uselessly. The only good thing was that they were less than an hour from arch rock they clopped down the abandoned highway in a state of misery the road under them stony and pocked the yellow and white reflective lines were merely splotches of color now worn down by wind and rain and snow the asphalt reflected the day's heat with a kind of punitive relentlessness and Mulder felt terrible for Scully and William, whose complexions didn't deal nearly so well with the sun as his own. Another whining buzz in his ear, and he turned into his saddle. You got any bug-repellent powers we don't know about, Will? No, snapped William irritably, then immediately smacked his neck. Scully shot Mulder a dirty look, and William spurred Molly into a canter, which Pumpkin and Gypsy matched without being told. Mulder figured there was no use in trying to spare the animals any energy, so he let them trot, hoping the speed might displace some of the bugs. Every here and there the horses had to swerve around an abandoned car, most with their innards stripped out, the hoods and windshields covered in a thick coating of dust. Mulder was surprised not to have seen any people at this point. Arch Rock was a well-known trading post. Unlike their cooperative, Anyone could come here and deal in anything. It lay in the middle of an area of the country where mines had been omnipresent and people used the old tunnels to their advantage to avoid any alien entanglements. There were parts of the town you definitely wanted to avoid, where the trading dealt in items that were not exactly necessary to survival. Booze and drugs and dark enclaves where, if you had to or wanted to, you could even sell yourself. But despite the dark corners, it was usually a vibrant, engaging place, the only one like it for hundreds of miles, its buildings lined in lead and stone, with a pinwheel of roads leading out of it. There were normally at least a handful of people either coming or going from it. Mulder randomly hoped that there hadn't been some kind of plague. They were approaching the jackknife tractor trailer that was wedged in the embankment where you turned off the old highway to head to the town. Mulder saw the familiar spray-painted sprawl of arch rock on the side of the trailer and pulled Gypsy off the road and down the well-trod trail that led to the town from the east. The trail dipped into a ditch and then banked, and Gypsy decided to jump over it in a short burst of energy. Mulder, he heard Scully say from behind, her voice low. He turned to look at her. She was pointing at the back of the semi. Jean Motor Freight still shone from the rear gate, but in the middle of the big black M of Motor, someone had painted a small white cross with a yellow triangle behind it, the same symbol that had been on the necklace of the man who called himself Ezekiel. Mulder whispered a quiet curse. That was not exactly the most auspicious omen to see, considering the reason they found themselves on the road. However, they had rationed out enough food and supplies for the trip to Arch Rock, but not a whole lot more. They had counted on resupplying here. There was no choice but to go on. He gave Scully a long look and pulled out his Glock, checking to make sure the clip was full. Scully, being the better marksman, had the rifle slung around her back in addition to the Sig Sauer at her waist. They had given William an extra pistol with days worth of safety instruction, but he carried it around in his knapsack rather than on his person. Mulder was tempted to tell the kid to pull it out. Gypsy stumbled for a moment, pulling Mulder's focus back to the road ahead of them. They were in the tree line now, the sun less severe and the temperature at least ten degrees cooler. The breeze carried toward them from the settlement, and Mulder was surprised not to catch a whiff of roasting meat. There was nearly always a vendor just on the outskirts of town, roasting various spits of meat over an old oil drum. Mulder had sold a few of them racks of venison and elk in the past. When they crested the rise that led into the town proper, there was a bright fire burning in the old drum, but no one tending to it. There should have been people milling about, but there weren't. Mulder pulled up Gypsy and stayed mounted, William and Scully riding up to him on either side. "'Where are the people?' Scully asked, her eyes scanning the few low buildings ahead. Will, are there? William was looking ahead too, a look of concentration on his face. There are people here, he said, but I don't... He shook his head, as though trying to figure something out. They're up ahead, he finished, finally looking over at Mulder. Mulder nodded at his son, and then finally dismounted, pulling Gypsy over to a hitching rail on the edge of the wood. "'Grab your packs,' Mulder said as William and Scully slid down off their horses. "'But let's leave them saddled. I'm not sure we're going to want to stay here tonight.' Scully and William grabbed their things, and the three of them walked slowly into the settlement, their heads on swivels. Arch Rock looked like an old West Town, or at least Hollywood's facsimile of one. Wooden buildings of various sizes packed cheek-by-jowl along a wide dirt avenue." hitching posts out front, and the occasional trough of water. Finally, after turning a corner, they saw two men up ahead of them, leaning on the old plank fence that surrounded an area of green near what had become known as the town square. Usually there was livestock in the enclosure, and an auctioneer did a brisk business, but today there was only a single skinny brown cow inside, thoughtfully chewing her cud, her udder sagging low, limp and without milk. One of the men turned when he heard them, but he only watched them pass silently, giving one quick nod to acknowledge their existence. Mulder, I don't like this, Scully said, her voice just above a whisper. Let's just get to the general store. We'll trade for what we need and ask about Zero. Scully didn't answer, but nodded. Mulder threw a quick glance at her face and noticed her nostrils were flared, her pupils half-blown. She was as tense as he'd ever seen her. Where's the general store? William asked, and Mulder turned his attention up forward. Up ahead, Mulder pointed, the building with the slanted roof. Up ahead there was a two story building with narrow windows and a sharply inclined corrugated roof. William nodded. There's people in there, he said. Anyone we need to be worried about? Mulder asked no super soldiers william said and i think i don't know it's weird here a lot of the buildings have lead-lined roofs in case of flyovers Mulder pointed out keeping his eyes on the door to the establishment william grunted they trotted up the steps of the general store and Mulder went in first his eyes scanning the low rows of supplies there were no other patrons but the proprietor and her husband who Mulder had seen before were standing at the back counter, their faces wearing looks of barely concealed surprise. Hello, Mulder said to the pair and ushered Scully and William inside. Scully stayed by the door, ostensibly looking at the rack of horse tack, but Mulder knew she was keeping an eye on their tail. William stuck to Mulder's side as he walked to the back counter. How can we help you, the woman said, her tone flat and bordering on unfriendly. We'd like to trade for a few supplies, Mulder said, setting his pack carefully on the counter. The woman nodded. We're low on inventory, she said, but maybe we could do a couple things. Mulder smiled at her and opened up the pack to let her rummage through it. What do you need? she asked. The cable-knit sweater she wore had holes at the elbows and neck. Her ectomorphic husband stood several paces behind her, squinting as though he needed glasses. She leaned forward, looking through what Mulder had to trade. Some food, Mulder said. Iodine tablets? She nodded and pulled several things out of his bag, then bent low to the counter to pull up some prepackaged foods and a box of water-cleaning tablets. She lined them up and then looked up at Mulder. Fair? she asked. Fair, he said, scanning the items without much of a thought to haggling and she nodded, putting everything away quickly. Mulder took more time and care, putting their new supplies into his own pack. Question for you, he said, keeping his voice as friendly as he could. The woman cleared her throat, and her husband, who still had not said a word, shuffled on his feet uncomfortably. Mulder plowed ahead anyway. We have a friend, moved up here a year or two back, pretty close to Arch Rock, I think. The woman continued to stare at him blankly. He invited us to come stay, so that's where we're headed, hoping maybe you can help lead us in the right direction. Mulder put the last of their goods into his pack and zipped it closed. Town by the name of Zero? The woman's eyes fitted to where Scully was still standing by the door. William sniffed at his elbow, looking at the woman curiously. If you want to find your friend, you should go, the woman said. Now. We don't know the way, Mulder said. I can't help you. We're closing in a few minutes. You need to leave. Mulder? Scully called to him from the entrance, and he turned to look at her. Her eyes bore into his, and he instantly grabbed his pack and murmured a quick thank you, making his way to Scully quickly. What is it? He asked, as he and William approached. Scully opened the door and led the way out. Look at the window of the building across from us, she said in a low tone, looking in a completely different direction. Mulder's eyes roved to the building she'd indicated, spray-painted in yellow across the whole of it, where the words, The New Trinity Lives. His stomach flipped, and he turned on his heel to head back toward where they'd left their horses. Let's go, he said quietly. He started looking at the other buildings in earnest and saw smaller symbols hidden here and there, the cross with the triangle, side alley graffiti that said things like, pray for ascension. He quickened his pace and felt Scully and William quicken theirs behind him. They passed the green square where the two men still stood, this time eyeing them with interest. Twenty more paces and they'd turned down the lane that led to where they'd left the horses. When he got to the corner, Mulder blew out a long breath of relief. Then he heard a loud thud, a quiet grunt, and a scuffle from behind him. He drew his glock and whirled around. William was on the ground, clutching at his head, and Scully had her hands in the air, a pistol held by a short-bearded man held three inches from her forehead. Another man stepped out from a doorway, right by where William had fallen, a long wooden club in his hand. "'Your weapons,' the man said. "'You will hand them over.' Mulder began to question every decision he'd ever made, furious with himself. Keeping his eyes fixed on the gun in front of Scully's face, Mulder slowly lowered his glock to the ground. When he rose, he took a good, long look at the two men in front of him. Each were wearing long brown robes and crucifix necklaces affixed to golden triangles. Welcome, the larger man said, reaching down to help William up. Mulder noticed that he kept his hands just above the boy's elbow and wrist. It would take him less than a moment to break the boy's arm. The man smiled, a performative, ghastly look. Prepare yourselves, the man went on, for glorious ascension. They were sitting, hands tied uncomfortably behind their backs, in the first row of pews in what probably used to be a small warehouse. The building had obviously been repurposed into a church, A large crucifix bolted to the back wall with a triangle of yellow painted wood hung up behind it. Light filtered in through the high windows that had recently been cut into the high reaches of the structure. No glass had been put in, so birds flitted in and out, and Mulder could occasionally get a whiff of fresh air as it wafted through the lofted space. They were being guarded on either side by the men who'd brought them here, one tall, one short each of them stealing looks mainly at William surreptitiously. Armed with pistols of their own, they stood silent, waiting for whatever was about to happen. There was an expectant waiting for the other shoe to drop feeling in the air. moller and Scully's various weaponry had disappeared. There was a long line of blood that had dribbled down onto Will's face from his hairline, and it ran along his cheek to pull gummily at his chin. He kept lifting his shoulder to wipe it away, wincing. You okay? Mulder whispered. Will had been dragged woozily along into the converted church and had really only come back to himself in the last few minutes. William nodded. Scully eyed him from their other side, clearly concerned. One of their guards watched them, but said nothing, so Mulder figured maybe they had permission to speak. Do you think you could he gestured with his chin toward the men. "'Maybe,' William whispered doubtfully. "'But I don't have as much control without my hands.' "'Quiet,' one of the men said. And then a door opened from the side of the building, and a tall, blond man in jeans and a loose chambray shirt, a cape of brown, burlap-like fabric draped over his shoulders, entered, smiling at them as he approached. Another man was shuffling in behind him, his identity hidden behind the man's bulk." Greetings, the blonde said, holding his hands out in welcome. Mulder felt William tense beside him. I apologize for the way in which our deacons brought you here. At this, he turned to one of the guards. Can we get a clean cloth to wipe the boy's face, Deacon Adam? Adam, the shorter of the two guards, nodded curtly and hustled off in the direction of the door the blonde had come through. Do you need water? Food? The man asked felicitously, as if the three bound people in front of him weren't at his utter mercy. "'I wouldn't mind the use of my hands,' Mulder said, the keen edge of anger slicing into his nervous concern. "'My crotch is like a son of a bitch.'" The blond man gave him a placating smile. "'I'm afraid you may find yourself in a continued state of discomfort,' he said. "'Until we can confirm your identities.'" The man Adam came back in through the door and rushed to the blond man's side. Here, Preacher, he said, handing over a white cloth. The man called Preacher took it, thanking Adam with a kind smile, before turning back to Mulder and Scully, holding the cloth in his hand. What are your names? he asked them. You can call me Bob, Mulder said. William and Scully stayed silent. The latter glaring at the preacher with a ball withering, with a ball withering stare that Mulder had the misfortune of being on the receiving end a few times. It seemed to have no effect on the man. And you, son," the preacher said, turning to William. The man calling his boy son made Mulder want to rip his hands from their tethers and slap him in the mouth. Will stayed silent, looking at the man blankly. Let me see if I can help you. The preacher went on and leaned forward, gently wiping at the blood on William's face. When he stood back up, he raised the cloth to his mouth and licked at the blood that was upon it. Mulder saw Scully give a disturbed twitch, and he felt his own stomach begin to roil in fear and revulsion. Ah, the preacher said, a look of enlightenment coming over him. He beamed unnaturally. William, at last. It wasn't until Scully had gotten over her shock at hearing her son's name come out of the odd preacher's mouth that she even glanced at the man who had walked in behind him, still standing meekly at the man's elbow. Ezekiel, the preacher said, turning to him now. You've done well. The odd little man's face cracked into a smile. Thank you, preacher. The preacher turned to the other guard, whose name Scully didn't know. Collect the parishioners, will you? I'd like them to meet the new Holy Trinity. We shall have a service tonight, and a feast. He turned to Adam. Take them to the chambers, he said, and prepare them for ascension. Adam led them into a dark room with two low cots built into the wall, a single lamp burning dully in the corner. There was nothing else, not even a window. Wait here, the man said. I'll bring you water to wash you'll bathe and take communion. With that, he closed the door. William turned immediately to them. He's an alien, the preacher. Mulder swore, and Scully peered at her son closely. What about this Adam and the others? William shook his head. All human. Any super soldiers? The boy closed his eyes for a long moment, then opened them. None, he said, though there's magnetite nearby. Lots of it. Do you think you can get these bindings off of us? Scully asked. William looked skeptical. I can try. Stand behind me where my hands are. Scully moved herself behind him and turned herself around so that her bound wrists were in front of his hands. She could feel a tug on the rope, then a stronger one. So strong she lost her balance and stumbled backwards a bit. So strong she lost her balance and stumbled backward a bit. William made a frustrated sound. I can pull on the ropes, but the knots are too tight. I'm sorry. It's okay, Mulder said, and the door opened back up. Adam came through it, carrying a tray. Light flooded in from the hallway behind him. On the tray was a large bowl filled with steaming water, several white cloths, a small plate with what looked like some kind of crackers on them, three small waxy Dixie cups that were filled with the dark liquid. He set the tray on one of the cots. Come, he said, picking up the bowl of steaming liquid. Lower your hands into the water, I shall clean your faces. Then we will take communion. They did as they were told, and Scully had to admit that dipping her hands in the warm water felt heavenly after so many days on the trail, washing and bathing out of glacial fed streams. When Adam turned to them with a cloth in his hand to wash their faces, he did so very gently, paying special attention to the line of now-dried blood on William's face. Then he threw the soiled washcloths into the bowl of water and leaned down to pick up the tray. Sit, he said, and Scully lowered herself onto one of the cots. William sitting down next to her, Mulder sat on the other one, looking at Adam warily. Adam set the tray on the floor and picked up a plate with the wafers and moved himself in front of William. He held up a wafer before him. May this nourish your soul as well as your body. He lowered it to the boy's mouth. William looked at him for a moment and then hesitatingly opened his mouth. Adam set the wafer on his tongue and moved to Scully. She could hear William crunching as Adam performed the same ritual with her. She glanced briefly at William, who seemed to bear no ill effects from the small cracker, and opened her mouth as well. She munched on it as Adam moved on to Mulder. It was stale and tasted vaguely of sesame. Still, she half wished she could have another. They hadn't eaten since morning. Next came the small cups of dark liquid. Adam made a ritualistic comment about enlightenment and then held the cup to William's mouth. William will took a small sip and made a disgusted face breaking his head away scully thought it must be wine drink all of it please adam said and re-held the cup up to william's mouth he dipped his head back and scully watched as his throat bobbed taking the rest of the wine in one mouthful adam approached her holding the waxy cup to her lip she took a deep breath and followed her son's lead tipping her head all the way back so that Adam could pour the contents into her mouth. She swallowed quickly and then coughed the taste into her mouth, sickly sweet. She swallowed quickly and then coughed, the taste in her mouth, sickly sweet. The wine was maybe port or some kind of thick sherry. When Mulder had his, Adam picked up the tray and headed for the door. Once he reached it, he turned to them slowly. Thank you, he said. It it was a blessing to have served people so holy as you. I hope to see you in the God's kingdom. With that, he nodded once and left, closing the door behind him. I'm going to wait a minute and then try the door, Mulder said. A moment later, Will made a strange grunting sound, and she turned to see him shift uncomfortably next to her. He turned to her scully he said i don't feel good a moment later she felt it herself a queasy clutching in her stomach she felt dizzy nauseous her vision blurred just before she lost consciousness the last thing she thought was we've been drugged Mulder came to in cold clammy night air the smell of it pungent and full and wet at first, he thought he was suffering from the high whine of pulsatile tinnitus, but after a moment, he realized it was the air itself, suffused with insect chirps and the roaring of frogs. He opened his eyes slowly, his head rolling around on his neck, limp as a rag doll. He couldn't lift his arms or legs. With an alarming rush of adrenaline, he realized he'd been drugged. He swung his head as best he could to his right and then to his left, where he saw William and Scully sitting prone next to him, their wrists no longer bound. Neither seemed to have regained consciousness yet. Peace, brothers and sisters, called out a loud voice he recognized as belonging to the preacher. From behind him, Mulder could make out the low hum of voices a crowd had gathered. He began to take in his surroundings as more of his faculties returned to him, though he was still not able to move his arms or legs and his tongue felt thick in his mouth. They were sitting in a wide green valley, and there was a fire burning in front of them, behind which stood the preacher with his hands held up, as if to calm a crowd. Behind the preacher rose up long, tall grasses and cattails. It was marshy wherever they were, which explained the sound of frogs. He seemed to be getting more control of his neck muscles, and he was able to lift his head and hold it there. The father has returned to us, the preacher shouted, and Mulder could hear the crowd of people behind him making excited-sounding murmurs. Ah, yes, and now the son. Mulder turned to look and saw William's eyelids fluttering open, his head lolling onto his shoulders. The preacher stepped up to Mulder and made a show of making the sign of the cross over him. Under his breath, he said, what you've been given is an inorganic paralyzing agent. If you try to talk before the effect completely wears off, you'll swallow your own tongue. I've been told it's an agonizing death. The man made his way over to William, who seemed to be coming back to himself, and made the same show. Mulder could just hear him repeating the same warning to the boy. Then he moved to Scully, who first appeared still totally prone and unresponsive. Mulder swallowed thickly, worried, wanting to call out her name. "'Ah!' The preacher said a moment later, and Mulder was relieved to see her eyelids begin to flutter. And the mother, our Holy Spirit. The preacher made a slow sign of the cross and spoke lowly to Scully as well. Then the man backed up until he was once again standing behind the fire, the light throwing up ghastly shadows onto his face. He raised up his hands. I have the need of one man and one woman of the utmost faith. Who will help escort the new Holy Trinity to the gates of the God's kingdom? The time for ascension is upon us. At this, the low rumbling of an approaching ship began, sending tremors up through the soles of Mulder's feet. Cheers and shouts rose up behind them, and goose flesh began creeping up the back of his neck. The rumbling grew louder, and from behind the alien preacher, Mulder could see the scanning light from a ship approaching. The crowd behind him began screaming and crying, shouting to the preacher, begging to be selected. The ship slowed and stopped, hovering about twenty yards above the ground, roughly the same distance from the preacher. The vibration stopped as well. Ezekiel Barrow, step forward, the preacher called, and the little man who had terrorized them in their cabin walked into the firelight, his head held high. "'You shall escort the father,' Ezekiel smiled serenely. "'You,' the preacher said, pointing into the crowd. A woman stumbled forward and into the firelight, her eyes containing a crazed joy. "'What's your name, sister?' "'Elaine Drake,' she said, her voice shaky. "'You shall escort the mother,' the preacher said. And the woman began weeping with joy. "'Peace, brothers and sisters. Peace!' he shouted." trying to calm the crowd. Your time is coming. He then instructed Ezekiel to stand next to Mulder and the woman Elaine to stand next to Scully. He himself moved to stand behind William, and he reached down and squeezed the boy's shoulders hard. Ascension, he cried then, and the ship rumbled forward. A moment later, Mulder was blinded by its light, and he felt his body rise up through the air. Slowly, peacefully, as though he was made only of spirit. "'I didn't think this was supposed to happen, Mulder,' she shouted shrilly, though Mulder was sitting right next to her. She had held it together long enough to go into Mulder's house and help him pack up what they could. She still had clothes there, taped up in boxes in the spare room that he'd had every intention of taking over to her new place. He'd never been able to go through with it, though,' If the last of her stuff was gone, that meant she was gone. Permanently. For good. Which is what she'd told him when she left. An hour before, right after she'd peeled into his driveway and he'd launched himself toward her in relief, they saw a ship hovering several miles off from the unremarkable house, from the porch, and had been watching in real time when another ship had come down practically on top of it and fired something at it. The original ship exploded and they'd careened into the house, throwing together whatever they could, whatever they thought they might need. They'd thrown the haul into the trunk of Mulder's car, his had more gas, and he'd torn off down a country road in the opposite direction from the downed ship, flashing his lights and honking at any car that approached and was headed towards it. Thirty minutes later, he peeled onto a seasonal dirt road heading northwest, Truly in the boonies now, and Scully was starting to shake. Scully was starting to lose it. December 2012 has come and gone, Mulder. Her voice was an octave higher than normal. What the hell is going on? What the hell is happening? I don't know, he hissed back. The car hit a rut in the road and they lurched to the right, the top of the car sweeping a low-hanging branch, which scratched and squeaked along the roof. If they lost the tire now, it would, be, it would be disastrous, and fear and panic shot through Mulder's chest. I don't fucking know, he practically shouted. On the radio, DJs were losing their collective shit, some talking endlessly and needlessly into their microphones, some playing music, and some had clearly abandoned their posts, leaving nothing on their respective stations but the low hiss of static. Mulder punched the radio off harder than he should have. Scully took a deep breath, calming herself down. Where are we going, Mulder? She asked him, having regained most of her composure. The shaky way she was drawing breath, the only clue that Dana Scully was well and truly stressed. I don't- He started, and then he pressed his foot hard into the accelerator, gunning the car forward on the dusty, gravelly road. I don't know that either. They'd used up the last of the gas the night before. They had only been able to refuel the tank twice before shit started getting crazy. A man got shot through the chest in front of them at a backroads marathon station, and after that, they gave up on vehicular travel, and also on humanity. They slept in the car, which they'd managed to push behind a large billboard. Mulder came to consciousness slowly, his body sore from sleeping in an awkward position in the driver's seat and the first thing he heard were quiet sniffs from a couple of feet next to him. He opened his eyes and saw Scully, awake, her seat back in the upright position, her face turned to the window. Her phone was clutched tightly in her hand. "'Scully?' he said, his voice scratchy from disuse. "'My mom is gone, isn't she?' Scully said, staring out the window at the low, grey dawn, her voice not belaying any emotion." You don't know that, Mulder said, putting his seat back up. She didn't seem to hear him. I don't even remember the last thing I said to my brothers. Hey, he said, reaching over the console and touching her shoulder. And Matthew, God. At that, she turned to him, her face crumpling. Mulder squeezed her shoulder, feeling helpless. He wasn't sure how to respond. He had no one left to lose except her. They left the car that afternoon, after putting whatever they could carry into a couple of backpacks. When Mulder turned around to make sure they'd gotten everything, he saw Scully's phone sitting in the sunshine on the dashboard. She walked determinedly ahead of him that day. She never did look back. The farmhouse they were squatting in was hot, and the air wouldn't move no matter how many windows they had propped open. Scully was in a t-shirt and a pair of shorts, the skin above her lip glossy with sweat. She sat down next to him on the garishly flowered sofa and handed him a stale glass of water. He murmured his thanks. I found some peanut butter and crackers if you want them, she said, and he grunted. It was too hot to eat. I never should have left you, she said then, and he rolled his head on the back of the couch to look at her. Yes, you should have, he finally said. Nothing would have changed if you hadn't. Nothing good. I learned... What did you learn? She asked. What you meant to me. Well, what you mean to me. I think I learned that too. Mulder nodded at her. So yes, I should have left. But I also should have come back before all this. I should have come back and I didn't. Mulder let that sit in the air for a moment. Held it close you're here now, he said. I'm here now. He took a sip of water and then handed the glass to her. She took a sip as well, then ran the back of her hand along her mouth, wiping the sweat away. She looked as lovely as the day he'd met her, as lovely as the day she'd left. Scully, I wouldn't want to spend the apocalypse with anybody but you. She heaved out a breath, smiled reluctantly. Then she tucked herself into his side and he didn't even care about the heat anymore, about being sticky and sweaty. He wouldn't have moved if a walk-in freezer had appeared suddenly across the room. He wouldn't have moved for anything. Are you with me, Scully? he asked. I'm with you, Mulder, she said. I'm with you.